Welcome to One-on-One with Ilion, a podcast featuring the activists, celebrities, and politicians who have made it their mission to make the world a better place. And now, here is your host, Ilion Ramos. Hello and welcome. Today's topic is possibly the most polarizing of all, a topic that continues to live in its wake a trail of carnage and trauma in the collective psyche of this country. I'm talking, of course, about gun violence. Gun violence is not just a leading cause of early death in the United States, but we also have more gun violence deaths per capita than any other developed country. The fear of being the next victim of this violent epidemic is paralyzing to many of us, and it's frustrating to see politicians deflect and look for scapegoats instead of finding real solutions to make our communities safer. The sad truth is that these shootings are becoming more and more frequent and the human cost of this political inaction is getting higher and higher. But there's some hope. Advocates and survivors continue to demand that lawmakers take action. And I'm excited to introduce you today to one of the leading voices in that movement. My guest is Jonathan Lowy. Jonathan is the president and founder of Global Action on Gun Violence, a nonprofit organization that works with the international community to prevent gun violence. Welcome to the show, Jonathan. It's great to have you here. Good. My pleasure to be here. Jonathan, I know you've been an advocate on this issue for about 25 years or so. Are you as terrified about all this violence as we all are? Certainly. I mean, It never stops being depressing and enraging, but at least it's a constant reminder of how important this work is. We just have to keep fighting. I mean, it really is nonstop, no? Now, obviously, you know all the ins and outs of this issue. Can you give us an overview of where the issue stands in terms of policy at this point? Well... I guess there are two parts of that. I mean, one is the overall situation of gun violence in the country. The other is, you know, the response to it. I mean, gun violence is getting worse in recent years. I mean, we are close to 50,000, 50,000 gun deaths in the past recorded year. Mass shootings, we're now seeing multiple mass shootings per day. So that's all getting worse. There's more and more guns going to Mexico and Canada, Jamaica and Haiti and other countries. Um, And then as far as legislation, you know, Congress has really not taken any significant action on guns for many, many years. There was one law that was enacted last year by Congress. It had some positive things, but it really did not get at the heart of the problem at all. And certainly with the current Congress, does not look promising, at least until the next election. Thank you so much for that. And I'm sorry if I stumble over my words over here. It's it's just so frustrating. There seems to be at least one or two mass shootings a day. I lost count to how many deaths so far this year. Yet the response we get from legislators is always the same. Thoughts and prayers. Thoughts and prayers. What do you think is behind their inaction on this issue? I mean, is this a lost cause? Well, it definitely is not a lost cause. And you know, one of the principal obstacles is hopelessness. So we can't make it a lost cause. 
you know, the, the gun lobby and the gun industry would like us to think that it's hopeless and this is the, just the world that we have to grow accustomed to. And we just can't believe that. You know, politically, I've always thought that the biggest obstacle is that people on the gun side, people who think that the answer to gun violence is more and more guns, some of them are single-issue voters, or that's really the one number one issue that they have. And even though they've always been a pretty small minority, and there's always been a majority for sensible gun laws, the people on our side have not been single-issue voters, and they've tended to not prioritize guns as a, as a major issue. And that's changing. And it really is. And there's been a, a number of years now where polls have shown that, you know, people who care about the gun issue support gun violence prevention more than expansive, you know, gun rights and loosening regulations. And that trend will only continue. And young people, you know, are uh, certainly prioritizing gun violence prevention. And so now it's just going to take politicians to internalize that and believe that and realize that there is a lot to gain and nothing to lose by supporting, you know, strong gun laws and protecting lives and prioritizing lives over gun industry profits. So we just have to get that message across. And, um, you know, we are, but it's, you know, taking far too long. And I feel we should also mention the fact that the gun lobby and the NRA have become some of the most powerful entities in this country. And they contribute millions of dollars to the campaigns of these politicians. So that's part of it, in my opinion. But enough, enough about the corruption. Let's talk about you for a little bit. You have made a name for yourself in the gun policy and advocacy communities most famously as part of Ready United Against Gun Violence, which is an organization that has helped wage some of the most high-profile legislative fights around gun control. Can you tell us some more about your background and your time at Brady? Sure. Well, my perspective has been mostly as a lawyer. And, you know, over 30 years ago, Brady... Uh, began a legal department where basically they they realized that it was very difficult to win in Congress. Possible that takes a long, long time, and there are other things that you have to do in the meantime outside of politics to try to reduce gun violence. And one of the most effective things you can do is go to court and bring lawsuits against the gun industry and also go to court to defend gun laws that are challenged. And so I did that with Brady for 25 years. And actually, we made a lot of progress. Not nearly enough, but we won a lot of victories against gun manufacturers and against gun dealers and got some reforms. And now I, I've continued that work and expanded it somewhat in the international context at uh, my new organization, Global Action on Gun Violence. And how did the idea come about for the new organization? Why did you decide to shift from the U.S. policy focus to a more international focus? Well, for a couple of years or so, I've been working with the Mexican government to help them address the tremendous problem that they have of guns being trafficked across the U.S. border. And obviously there's, there's tremendous gun violence 
in Mexico, largely from the, the, the drug cartels. And those guns are almost completely supplied by U.S. gun companies. I mean, Mexico has very strong gun laws. They have one gun store in the whole country that's run by the military, but they have this huge gun problem with somewhere between 70 to 90% of their guns coming from the U.S. And that's as a result of the weak gun laws in the U.S. and the reckless sales practices of the gun industry that supplies that. And so Mexico wanted to do something about that. They've, they've been trying to get the U.S. to address this problem for many years. And we worked together and ultimately filed a lawsuit against major gun manufacturers, which is the first lawsuit ever filed by a country against the U.S. gun industry. The Clinton administration actually threatened to bring a suit like this over 20 years ago, but they, they never did. So that experience really opened my eyes to the potential of international action to reduce gun violence, both in the U.S. and abroad. And there's like a couple aspects to that. I mean, one is there's this huge problem of countries like Mexico and Jamaica and Haiti and some degree Canada and others that are trying to keep guns out of the hands of criminals. They've got the right laws in place. They've got the right restrictions in place. But here comes the United States basically flooding them with guns. And that's just a horrific problem for them. And also actually back in the U.S. Because, you know, the fentanyl that, that uh, you know, our kids in the U.S. are suffering from, I mean, that's coming from, to a large degree, the cartels in Mexico who are able to, you know, operate their, you know, criminal enterprises because of the guns that they get from the U.S. If they didn't have those guns, they could be stopped. So it's, it's just a massive problem, and that has to be dealt with. It hasn't been talked about nearly enough. But also, international action, working with other governments and international forum, can reduce gun violence in the U.S. in some ways, I think, more effectively than domestic U.S. efforts, because what we're doing is going outside of this U.S. bubble that is just so infected by the warped gun politics of the U.S. and, in some cases, the gun industry protection laws that exist because of that politics. And by going outside that, you can take much bolder action, as Mexico is doing and as other countries are doing, and there are also legal arguments about why those sorts of actions can get around and not be subjected to some of the industry protection laws that work in, in the U.S. So because of all that, I decided to leave Brady and to create Global Action on Gun Violence and focus on this international approach to reducing gun violence. Let me ask you this. I read somewhere that Mexico is one of only three countries in the world where bearing arms is a constitutional right. The other two being Guatemala and, of course, the United States. In your experience, do you find that the gun debate there is as politicized as it is here? 
Not at all. I don't think there's any other country in the world, other than the United States, that prioritizes the rights and financial interests of the gun industry over the right to live of the people who live in that country. And, you know, the fact that Mexico has a constitutional right to guns is just a great point because it shows that you can have a constitutional right to guns, legal recognition of, of right to guns, even if not your constitution, and at the same time have strong laws that protect people. And, you know, other countries around the world do that. Even if they don't have a constitutional right, a lot of them have a legal right. I and mean, you have countries like Switzerland and Israel, but where there's a tremendous amount of gun ownership, they've got strong, sensible laws. And, you know, again, we're the only country here in the U.S. that says, you know, there's this right to guns, but we're also not going to really protect people against the risks of guns. So it really is outrageous. And the Second Amendment is no excuse for it because Second Amendment should be read to both protect some idea of gun rights, but, but certainly uh, the overriding interest is the protection of human life. It really is almost absurd to think about, isn't it? And, you know, when you step outside of the U.S., talk to people from any other country, they, they don't believe it. They don't believe what our policy is. Right, right. And, and you know, it's worth taking a minute to, to talk about, you know, what U.S. law allows. I mean, U.S. federal law allows people, one, to buy guns without any check whatsoever, I think federal law requires gun dealers to do a rather minimal background check to buy a gun, but it also federal law allows anyone who's not licensed to sell guns, as long as they're not engaged in the business, and those people don't have to do any check whatsoever. You know, the U.S. law has no limits on how many guns you can buy, how frequently. I mean, so literally, you could buy, you know, 1,000 assault weapons in a single purchase. And you might, if you were in a border state, fill out a, a form for that, but it wouldn't stop the sale. And of course, you know, you're seeing that to some degree with the traffickers that supply the cartels in Mexico. Maybe not a thousand guns, but what happens is you have people buying dozens of assault weapons. Everyone in the world knows that that person's a trafficker. They know that there's no reason that somebody needs so many guns. Dealers could say, I'm not going to sell those guns. You're going to call law enforcement. They don't because they want to profit from it. Manufacturers could say, I'm not going to allow those sales, but they don't because they want to profit off it. And the, you know, those guns go across the border. You know, you also have in the U.S. not just assault rifles, but these 50 caliber sniper rifles, which are true military weapons. They can shoot through an airplane's fuselage. They can shoot down helicopters from the sky. An 18-year-old in the United States can buy one of those guns, and the cartels send traffickers over here to buy those guns, and they're being used to shoot down Mexican military helicopters. I mean, these are true military weapons, and yet they're you know legal in the U.S. I mean, seriously, make it make sense. Make it make sense. Oh. 
All right. I can understand how whatever is happening here in terms of gun legislation affects other countries and how your approach can help alleviate some of their problems. But how will focusing on the international angle affect what is happening in this country? There's a, a direct relation because we're actually aimed at fixing the problem in the U.S., which is going to reduce gun violence in other countries as well as the U.S. Because what this is all about is you know, reforming the gun industry and reforming how they sell guns and what the laws are that require them to sell guns safely. And if you can do that, if you can ban assault weapons, if you can prohibit or prevent these bulk sales of guns, if you can crack down on gun dealers that are supplying gun traffickers, you're going to reduce the flow of prime guns in Houston and Chicago just as much or more as you're reducing the flow of guns to the cartels in Mexico or Jamaica and Haiti, because it's exactly the same practices. So, you know, in my view, this is another approach. We call it an outside game approach outside of the U.S. political system, but it's a way to reform U.S. policy and practices. Right, right. So what are some of the key things you're trying to achieve in the short and the long term? Well, certainly, I mean, the major impact is to change, reform how guns are sold in the United States to ensure that they're sold safely and responsibly and that weapons of war are not sold to civilian populations. And there are a number of sort of short and midterm ways to get at that. I mean, one of those is lawsuits against the gun industry. And that's, I've been doing that for over 25 years and now representing government of Mexico in, in two lawsuits against the gun industry, also involved in a class action in Canada. And, you know, others will follow. But then also we're working in the human rights realm as well. Because, you know, these policies in the U.S. are just massive violations of, of human rights, the most fundamental being the, the right to live, which is the number one human right. And, you know, the United States has an obligation to do something about that and to protect life and regulate guns in order to protect life. And that issue, I mean, the, the fact that the U.S. is causing this truly massive human rights problem around the world, you know, needs to be recognized as, you know, the massive problem that it is. And if you just look at the numbers, I mean, there's many times more people who are killed or injured from civilian gunfire than combat. And then civilian gun violence is a, is a much bigger problem than literally all of the wars, you know, on the planet combined. And then if you look at the civilian, you know, gunfire numbers, a huge percentage of that is directly related to the U.S. gun industry and U.S. gun policy. I mean, most of the countries that have the top casualty numbers in gun violence are in the ambit of the U.S. And the U.S. is one of them, but then there are other countries that are in the Western Hemisphere where they get a lot, if not most, of their guns from the U.S. So literally, if you just play out the math, you see that the U.S. gun policy 
is a international public health, public safety, and human rights crisis that is greater than wars. And so it really needs to be recognized as such. And there needs to be that sort of international pressure on the U.S. to clean up its act and to do what the rest of the world does, which is to protect people and prevent children from being massacred in their schools and people to be, you know, massacred in churches and temples and movie theaters and music festivals and workplaces and every place else that we're seeing this in the U.S., you know, a country is just not permitted to sit by and let that happen. And so that is another big part of our work. And that really hasn't been done to a huge degree. There's certainly people who've talked about it, made that argument, but, but it has not been a really major international campaign. And I think that sort of pressure can help reform U.S. gun policy in a really effective way. That is certainly the hope. And with you leading these efforts, I have no doubt that we will get there. Thank you. And speaking of hope, what do you hope your legacy will be in this issue? You know, I mean, it's not personal, so I don't think of a personal legacy, you know. And there's a lot of people working on this issue. And to me, the real heroes have always been my clients. And beyond that, other victims and survivors of gun violence. These are people who have lost loved ones, children, husbands, wives, brothers, sisters, been killed from irresponsible gun policy and gun practices. And, you know, they've channeled their love and their grief into action, which is just superhuman. It's extraordinary. I mean, to endure the loss that they have is more than enough for virtually anyone to deal with, to go beyond that and simply dedicate themselves to, you know, preventing other families from suffering as they have. I mean, that is true heroism. And so to me, you know, that's the legacy. Their legacy is what's important. And, you know, I've been privileged to know them, to know some of them, and to represent them in courts and to act as their agent in this fight. But they are the ones. If there's going to be a monument built on this issue, it, it should be those families and, uh, and their, their loved ones as well. So I hope that that's the legacy when we finally end gun violence in the U.S., that we have proper tribute to those families. I agree. And, and it's just so sad that this is now so commonplace and in, in that many times the media treats victims as a number instead of us human beings with lives and family. It's, it's truly heartbreaking. At the same time, I gotta say, Jonathan, knowing that people like you are out there fighting alongside these families and these victims makes me feel less powerless about this situation. And I have no doubt that many people out there may feel the same way, and I'm sure many would love to get involved. So what is the best way to support your work? Sure. The simple thing is go to our website, which is actiononguns.org. 
and take a look at that and you will see information. Uh, there's a take action page and you can see steps that you can take to join us and to support us. And I will say that this is a global effort. We're all in this together, not just the U.S., but other countries. I just got back from Mexico a few weeks ago and, and I met with a number of families disappeared and victims of gun violence in Mexico. And their heroism is, is extraordinary. And I'm sure we can tell the, the same stories of people in, in Jamaica and Salvador and Haiti and, and all around the world. So we do have to realize there's a common humanity here and we're all suffering from the same problem, which is really the reckless policies and practices of, of, of the U.S. gun industry. Thank you for letting us know, Jonathan. And everyone, please do anything you can to help. And for those of you who are tuning in for the first time, please also check our donation hub on our website, where you will find a donation link to contribute to global action on gun violence, as well as many other worthy causes chosen, as always, by our guests. You can find the donation hub at bit.ly slash one-on-one donation hub again is bit.ly slash one-on-one donation hub so go check it out and to you jonathan thank you so much for being here and for your tireless work on this issue it's truly being an honor to host you today thank you so much it was my pleasure as we work towards finding a solution to gun violence hopefully soon we must never forget the human side to this issue and the toll it takes on our families and our communities. But let's also remember we all have a stake in this fight and a role to play in stopping this epidemic. Every little action counts. Whether it's contacting your elected officials and demanding they take action or supporting organizations like Global Action on Gun Violence. If you believe, like I do, that we all deserve to live in a world without gun violence, please check them out at actiononguns.org. Let's make our voices heard. Until next time, be blessed. Ciao. Thank you for listening to One on One with Ilian. We hope you enjoyed today's topic. For more information and inspiration, join us again next week. To catch our latest, you can follow us on all socials at one-on-one with Ilya. That's it for this episode. See you next time.